Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. One of my favorite adventure destinations is Italy, and I think a lot of people don't think about Italy as as an adventure destination. Everyone knows about the Dolomites and the Italian Alps, and some have heard about Cinque Terre, but I think what makes Italy really special is that the whole country is almost perfectly set up for adventure holidays. Your days are filled with beautiful countryside, charming villages, and then the evenings have wonderful local meals, great local wine. It's really a hard place to beat. And so I'm really excited to have Tulia Caballero on the podcast today. Tulia is the founder of Escape Italy, an Italian tour operator that specializes in walking and cycling holidays all over Italy. And Tulia is going to share some information on the popular destinations. But what I'm excited about as well is some of the hidden gems uh, that I don't know about. So uh, hi, Tulia. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you? Uh, I am great. And I'm super excited because uh, I just love adventuring, you know, hiking, cycling, cycling, walking in Italy. And every time I've been, it's always been a great destination. I think there's something unique about Italy that just makes it really pleasant to go to. Maybe it's the weather, maybe it's the food, maybe it's these beautiful, you know, ancient towns. There's also something about, it's a bit slower in Italy and slow travel originated in Italy 40 years ago, almost 40 years ago. But why do you think this kind of slower way of being on a bike or walking is such a great way to explore Italy? Uh, first of all, Richard, thank you for having me and having the opportunity to talk about Italy, which is definitely a fantastic destination for going slow. Most people come to Italy and do the main highlights, the art cities, Rome, Florence, Venice, in less than a week. It's crazy. There is so much to do in this country and to see and to admire Literally in every town and village, there is something special to see. And if you're rushing from one place to another, in and out of churches and plazas and palazzi, you just get overblown by how much there is and you don't remember and it's all a blur. And the great thing about uh, going on a walking or a cycling holiday is that instead of trying to cram as much as you can in one place, it's really about living that lifestyle that so many people admire and uh, wish to have that we have here in Italy. And it's about taking your time and enjoying and stopping for a cappuccino or having a slow lunch, uh, you know, digging into a plate of pasta with a glass of wine and not feeling guilty about it because you're going to be walking or cycling and burning it off. So there is uh, really many reasons for going to Italy on this type of holiday. And it's such a varied country, and it's a very long country as well, that you can come multiple times and every time do and see different things. Because if you start in the north, in the Alps, and the Dolomites, which are the more famous part of the, of the Italian Alps, uh, you'll have one kind of experience. But if you go further south or in the center and uh, you go into the plains and to the food, the real hub of the food uh, world, uh, Bologna and the Apennines, or if you go down into Tuscany, the great wines, like in Piemonte, the great wines, uh, you'll have another kind of experience, wine walking and eating <laughs> truffles and things like that. If it's uh, you know mealtime for you, then I hope I get you uh, whetting your appetite. Uh, and then for the south, of course, uh, 
we've got such great destinations like the Amalfi Coast the, and, uh, and down in Puglia also, which are so popular. And then the islands, uh, I mean, Sicily is a world of its own. Sardinia, again, another world of its own. These are huge islands that on the map may look like tiny little things, but in fact, they are really, really big. And you can spend even a month and not see everything in one of these islands. I think the way you describe it, it is, there's just so much diversity and, you know, you think, you know, Italy, and then when you go and start exploring on a bike or hiking from village to village, you realize it's, there's just so much to see and every little corner is just a little bit different, or in some cases, way, way different. And you mentioned uh, Sardinia, my co-host, Karen, she's now in Peru trekking and learning, uh, learning Spanish. She She spent five weeks cycling in Sardinia and She's like, it was incredible. And it was, you know, you think it's just one island, it'll all be the same, but there was so much variety if they were on the coast or, you know, going going through the center. And and she said she could have stayed even longer. So it is even an island that people say, I'll oh, go to Sardinia for three or four days. You can spend weeks and weeks there and still have a great time. Yeah, absolutely. And again, going from the coast and inland, it's all very different. And the one of the great things about going slow is that you really have time to stop wherever you want and meet people, talk to them. Because one of the really great uh, memories that one has when going on, a, on an active adventure is the fact that you meet people. You have the time to communicate, to, even if you don't speak the language and they don't speak your language. It's that human connection, that, that laugh, that smile, that wave that makes it so incredible. The, the recognition of you seeing the farmer in the field and what he's doing and stopping to take pictures or to pick fruit from a tree and then seeing you pass by walking and being a little bit surprised <laughs> that you are there walking you know or cycling so it's a great way of um, of enjoying a destination in a much uh, more in-depth and profound way that makes one really have time also to think to think about yourself, to, to experience. It's a kind of meditation in a way also, even if you're not the meditation type, but it just makes you uh, have that time that normally you don't have because you're connected on the phone, on a, in front of a computer or having to do things. There, all you have to do is just pedal and enjoy or walk and <laughs> just reach your next destination. I love how you talk about meditation because I was actually talking to an author and I, I said, when I, when I hike, I just count. And so obviously, you know, I'll talk with my wife or my kids, but sometimes you're just quiet. I'll just count to like a thousand or I always get stuck at like 250. And, and she said, actually, that's very similar to what you do in meditation. And she said, there's lots of similarities to actually, you know, going on one of these, you know, long hikes or a backpacking or a trekking trip or even cycling and meditation. That's why we always feel so good. So, you know, you imagine you spend all day either having great conversations or having this kind of like two hour meditation. And then you sit outside, have a great meal, a glass of wine. Like it's hard to beat just like, you know, we talk about wellness. It is wellness. It's, you know, fresh, freshly made food, great local produce. And then all day you're outside breathing fresh air and meditating. Like, like it's, why aren't we all doing that for every one of our vacations? I don't know. <laughs> for sure. Beats me. I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned a lot of different parts of Italy. And I know some people, they know parts of it. But you live there. You you run this uh, tour company that's doing tours all over the breadth and, and width of, of Italy. Can you maybe share some of the regions that you think are really spectacular that people should start thinking about of, you know, may, maybe a new a new part of Italy to explore on their next holiday? 
So everybody knows or has heard of the Dolomites. It's super fun, famous. The mountains are incredibly beautiful. They are exceptional. But the Italian Alps are actually really, really long. It's like over a thousand kilometers, which is, I don't know, 800 miles. And um, so we have other mountain areas that are incredible, like the Valmaira in, uh, in Piemonte on the west of, uh, of Italy. It's a similar kind of uh, environment, but it was fortunate or not, but uh, it was not touched by ski resorts, which means that the valley is pristine. And because there was no tourism development during the 60s and 70s, a lot of people left to go and work somewhere else. The old houses remained intact. And then when the new form of tourism, a more conservative and more respectful type came sort of started developing in Italy at the end of the 90s and 2000s, the houses were restored in a very uh, respectful way. So when you go there now, you really feel as if you're in an environment that is pristine in its nature with uh, villages that have a look and feel as they were 50, 100 years ago, but with all the modern comforts. And, uh, and the people are extremely warm and welcoming because... They haven't been, how could I say it nicely, <laughs> but it's, it's the fact that tourism isn't such a huge thing, that they're not tired of tourists. They're happy to have uh, visitors. And because there aren't so many places to stay in the valley, it's never crowded. And, uh, and there's always that feeling from the locals of, of being welcomed. Another destination like that is um, some parts of Val d'Aosta, uh, the Aosta Valley is one of the valleys uh, around the Mont Blanc. Everybody seems to want to go and do the tour of the Mont Blanc, which is, I have done it, and it is exceptionally beautiful. Yes, but there are other mountains, many of them, in that area, in that valley, which have far less visitors and uh, a lot more availability, easier to, to actually book, and, uh, and just as beautiful with incredible views uh, as well. It's not only one mountain. There are many other mountains, uh, mountain ranges in the valley of Val d'Aosta that you can go to and, uh, and have that same feeling because you're also staying in mountain huts and, uh, and you're up at 2,000 meters every day and getting in your 1,000 meter elevation <laughs> every day. So it's not that it's an easy hike. I, I think those are such great uh, suggestions because... It's true. Like everyone wants to do the Tour de Mont Blanc. I have a work colleague. He's gone to the Dolomites for like 20 autumns in a row. And I'm, I say, you know, try something different. Like Dolomites are great, but you know, there's so much breadth, but he's, he's just him and his wife who just fall in love with, with the Dolomites. But there is, there's just so much variety throughout, you know, the Italian Alps. Um, that I think it's it's nice to go to these places where it's not just a bunch of tourists where you can kind of fit in and be a bit like a local and have all the experiences without having, you know, every mountain hut jammed, every hotel jammed, every, you know, every restaurant jammed. Um, I, I've never been to Valmyra, so I'm actually super excited. Now I'm going to I'm going to go and Google it and look at it because that sounds really interesting because all of the Alps are really, you know, you're kind of never more than a few hours from seeing a distant ski lift and to kind of hike almost in nature. It seems really exotic. Yeah, it is. It is. It's fantastic. It's an incredible destination. And it's an area that was um, cut off from um, 
the surrounding areas in winter because it's a high valley and it would snow and they wouldn't be able to get in. And so they have their own language. It used to be French until about 200 years ago. And so the language has a lot of French influence. The food also is influenced by the French. In fact, it's actually closer to flying in to Nice than to Turin uh, as a geographic reference, just because of the location it is. And of course, if you go there, then you can go to Nice or to Turin, which are two incredible cities to go and visit. Or you can go down into the Lange uh, area, which is this super famous wine growing area where the Barolo famous wines are, are produced, the Barolos and Barberas. Uh, and if you go in autumn, then you, you can go for the truffle season as well. The white truffle of uh, Alba, which is um, very famous, of course, and very, very expensive too. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine you go for a great trekking tour and then you spend a few days on the Mediterranean, you know, get some sun and some some swimming in. Uh, what a great way to explore that part of Italy. Uh, what are some other areas, uh, maybe outside of the Alps, that you know should be on people's uh, uh, bucket list? I adore, like really adore, the southern uh, region of Puglia. This is the heel of Italy. And uh, this area is brilliant for cycling uh, because it's not very hilly. And the, most of it is actually quite flat. And um, there's been all sorts of people living in this area throughout uh, its history. And so the architecture of the different towns is very different. And you have some very, very unusual, unique architectonic styles that are fun to, to experience. Very famous are the towns of uh, Alberobello with the Trulli houses, which are these conical smurf type houses that you can actually sleep in. <laughs> and then in its neighboring region, it's not Puglia, it's the region called Basilicata, but it, there's often combined together, is a town called Matera. And Matera uh, has um, these uh, rock dwellings. So you, the rooms, the buildings have been carved into the rock. And, uh, and you stay in these uh, kind of cave-like, but extremely comfortable <laughs> caves. <laughs> uh, but then there are other towns also uh, along the coast, which are very beautiful. And so if you like cycling, Puglia is definitely a great place to go. But also if you like walking and uh, quite easy walking and coastal walking. Uh, in Italy, we have two very famous walk, coastal walking destinations. One is the Cinque Terre and the other is the Amalfi Coast. And they are overpacked, like really very, very busy. Book very early to go because it's always jammed. But in Puglia, we have uh, also this uh, trek that runs along the coast and it's really going down to the tip of, uh, of the hill. And um, there you're staying in small villages, in really small properties, family-run accommodation, very charming. And uh, the distances are not very long. So it's like you can spend three, four days walking and then the afternoon going to the beach because the beach, the coastline is a low rock coastline. Um, so the sea is really transparent, turquoise or dark blues, depending where you are. It's, it's a stunning, stunning place. And then you can visit the famous town of Lecce, which is the, they call it the Florence of the South because of its 
many beautiful churches and palaces that were built in a Baroque style in the same period like Florence was. It has so many artistic uh, palaces and buildings that it's uh, referred to as the Florence of the South. That just sounds incredible. It's almost like, you know, it's almost like being able to go and explore Cinque Terre or Amalfi like 30 or 40 years ago before those destinations. Exactly. Like I, I remember doing Cinque Terre and it was literally like hundreds of people and, you know, you're going up over a hill and it's just, it's it's like that picture you see of Everest of hundreds of people in a line. And uh, I always think, oh, it'd be so nice to come here when it wasn't, you know, kind of have it to yourself. Where it sounds like like that trek is a little bit like that, where you kind of have this, you know, uh, this a bit of solitude as well as these incredible views and, and walking holiday. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, if you go in July and August, Puglia is a big summer destination, for, especially for Italians. And it's extremely hot, so I really don't recommend that you go for a summer, but it's a great spring and autumn destination, especially in autumn. You can go all the way until October without any problem. The sea is still warm and the days are still long. So, and you get that balmy feeling, uh, which is really beautiful. Um, Tulia, you know, Puglia sounds incredible. You know, obviously the Alps are great. I think one place, one thing that I'm really interested in is you know, all the different pilgrim routes that go through Italy. I know a lot of them end up there, but not, not many people realize uh, that there are these, you know, pilgrim routes. Everyone focuses on the Camino in, you know, Portugal or Spain. Can you maybe share a little bit about the pilgrimage routes in Italy? Yeah, sure. So we have uh, two main uh, pilgrim routes in, uh, in Italy, which are especially the main one, which is called the Via Francigena, which means the route coming from France. It's the longest one, and it is uh, comparable to the Camino di Santiago, although a lot less well-known uh, by most people. So if you're planning on going to Spain, or you've been to Spain already and want to do something different, well, then I definitely recommend the Francigena in Italy. In actual fact, it starts in Canterbury in the UK and then runs all the way through France, through Switzerland, and then enters Italy at the San Bernard Pass. And from San Bernard down to Rome, uh, it's a 50-day hike, crossing practically all of Italy, of northern central Italy. So if you really have time and uh, want to experience all sorts of different places throughout the country, it's an incredible experience. Normally, people tend to split the trip into one or two week uh, stretches, but there are quite a few people that do the whole 50 days. And in actual fact, it's uh, about 45 stages, but they take a rest day every now and then. It crosses like the most iconic areas of uh, Tuscany, the typical uh, picture-perfect landscapes with the farmhouses on top of the hill and the cypress trees. It crosses over the Apennines, which is our backbone. It's a mountain range that goes all the way down uh, the, the center of Italy, creating like a T together with the Alps, which make the top of the T. And it just crosses a variety of landscapes, which are really, really incredible to see. If you do it all in one go, there is a huge difference. And of course, it ends up in Rome, which is, uh, you know, the, the final uh, place. The other uh, big important pilgrim route is the St. Francis route. Similar name, which can make it a bit confusing. 
Uh, but in fact, the St. Francis route follows the footsteps of the saint of St. Francis. So it passes through Assisi and it starts in Florence, goes to a place called La Verna, which was a very important place for St. Francis because it's where he received uh, the stigmatas on his hands and, uh, um, and then goes down to Assisi. And this is a trek that you can do in a couple of weeks. It's a little bit more challenging than the Via Francigena, the other route, especially uh, the first week or so. But of course, it reaches Assisi, which is a beautiful uh, medieval town. And along the way, there are other uh, medieval towns like um, Gubbio, for example, and many other small, tiny villages, which are just really where you find the locals. Uh, there are very few uh, tourists in those places. It also continues down to Rome um, because St. Francis also went down to Rome. So the complete trail is a 27-day trail from Florence to, um, to Rome, passing via Assisi. We also have a very interesting route that I like, which is in Sicily. It's uh, called the Magna Via Francigena, the Great Francigena Way in Sicily, which is a coast-to-coast -coast route. And it goes from the capital of uh, Sicily, which is Palermo, all the way down to Agrigento, cutting through the middle in an area like it's completely unknown. It, there's two the big attractors, very famous uh, art destinations, Palermo and Agrigento with the Valley of Temples. And in, in between is a, it's kind of a no man's land that was uh, yeah, a place, just a farm, farming communities, small farming communities. And for me, what is so special about this uh, route, the Magna Via Francigena, the human element, the people that you meet on the, on the trail, not so much during the walk, because you won't meet many people on the walk, but when you reach the villages, the locals are so warm and, and uh, welcoming, and they'll stop and they'll offer you a coffee or offer you water as you're going by. Uh, things that are rare to find wherever you go in fact such warm-heartedness uh, and again the food in Sicily is quite amazing so you get a very strong uh, warm feeling from the people but then as well you go into two really important uh, art historical uh, destinations which are uh, Palermo and Agrigento it's a great like 10 day trip, in fact, uh, because then you do it a bit of, and you can go to the beach because you start uh, on the coast and end on the coast. And and what's the best time of year to go to Sicily? Like, I've, I've heard people have gone in summer and they've said it was like so hot, like they were totally unprepared. So for doing, you know, if you want to go trekking or cycling in Sicily, when would you recommend people go? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially the center of Sicily is uh, very hot and uh, avoid, uh, I would say, from mid-June until the, definitely the end of August. But beautiful and uh, surprisingly green is uh, spring. If you go from March until, until all through May, it's very, very green, full of wildflowers and, uh, and very very picturesque. If you go in autumn, uh, it's all very kind of burnt yellow, earthy colors, uh, uh, quite rugged feeling. Um, as you go into autumn, I was there in the beginning of uh, November uh, and we got a very cloudy day. 
one day and it felt like being in highlands in Scotland just because of the landscape. <laughs> so it was it's very unusual and unexpected uh, kind of landscape, not the type that you associate traditionally with uh, Sicily. And, and you mentioned you, you, you can start it in March, but like, could you go there in January and February as well? Like, I know a lot of people coming from North America where there's, you know, snow and freezing weather, like walk going on a walking trip in eight degrees or 10 degrees or 12 degrees. That sounds really attractive, but, but is, is that possible in Sicily or is it just, you know, all the hotels and accommodations are closed down? In general, throughout Italy and not just Sicily, winter hits hard in January and February. So if there's going to be snow in the lower lands, I mean, not in mountains where we get lots of snow, but in the lower lands, it will be from the end of December, January and February. So those are the months uh, that I don't recommend. You can come for over Christmas because things are open and that and that's nice. But um, and in Sicily, for sure, over Christmas is a nice time to come. On this particular tour, because you're going up to a thousand meter elevation, it can be quite cold. And it's something that surprises people that it even snows in Sicily. <laughs> yes, it does. Even in Puglia, it snows. It's definitely uh, the south. You can go year round. If you're going hiking or cycling, I would avoid January and February. It's funny because I used to live in London and it almost never snowed. So I just assumed Southern Italy would never get snow. And, you know, here I am, you know, again, learning more about Italy, which is which is really great. Uh, we have time for, I think, one more destination. So is there one other place, you know, maybe a hidden gem that, you know, you just love that you want to share? A place that I like a lot, uh, which is another island not so well known, is uh, Sardinia. And uh, again, large island as you were saying before from your friend who's uh, cycled for five weeks, you can cycle and you can hike and the experience can be very different if you do it on the East Coast or on the West Coast. The Sardinians are, uh, how, can I, how can I explain? They are real island people. Uh, they have been invaded by practically everybody for the past <laughs> 4,000 years. <laughs> And uh, and so they keep tight to their customs, their traditions, uh, their beliefs. Uh, and that what is what makes them special because they have their own language. They have their own foods and especially the um, all the sweets. And for the festivities, they make very special kind of uh, sweets, desserts, pies, uh, uh, which is really, really interesting to, to see. Easter time is a great time to go because of the festivities. Once you get... To know them a little bit, you understand how uh, warm and uh, actually welcoming they are as people. Although at the beginning, they feel, you know, they, they keep a distance. The kind of, uh, of landscape that you'll find, well, incredible coastline, really beautiful coastline. On the northern part, uh, we have beaches that are no different to the Seychelles or other Caribbean or uh, islands just because we have incredible white sands, uh, turquoise colored uh, sea, which is very surprising and, and people really don't understand and know how mm. this could be. If you go further south uh, on the Nuoro province, uh, which is kind of center uh, east, uh, you have these 
very high mountains, very dry because it's limestone, and um, deep gorges, 300 meter deep gorges that you can walk through. And, um, and then you can visit these archaeological sites, which are belonging to a civilization called the Nuragi, which were living in Sardinia about 3000 2000 BC, which built these uh, uh, monolithical uh, stone structures in which they lived, uh, kind of towers and fortresses. Uh, which are really unusual. And they're all over the island. There's over 5,000 of these uh, big constructions. And they, they could look like watchtowers, uh, to give you an idea. And some of these are hidden up in the mountains, and you can make excellent hikes to them, or coastal walks. Uh, so wherever you go in, uh, in Sardinia, there's different things to be done and seen. Uh, there's an area on the west coast which is full of mines. It's, it was already an important mining area about 2,000 years ago, even before, even 3,000 years ago, because the Etruscans uh, were uh, mining their iron. Um, so you can go and visit these mining areas which stopped working about 30, 40 years ago. Uh, so you can get both uh, culture nature, food, great beaches, and fantastic uh, wines as well, because the Sardinian wines, we, we always have great wines wherever you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's nothing, nothing <laughs> that you can say about the Italian wines, I would say. <laughs> You know, one thing that that's, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying is as you're describing each of these places, your face kind of lights up and I can just, you know, you have all this knowledge, but I can just tell looking at you how much you love all these, all these little destinations that you found. And there's just so much passion about these places that are probably for 99% of people, not anywhere near their, you know, their bucket list for Italy. They're thinking, oh, um, you know, they probably want to go to Tuscany and they might think the Alps, but just sharing these different, different locations that offer something totally different. And as someone who's living in Italy, you know, your passion for these places is so evident that uh, it's just inspiring me. Like I'm, I can just see now talking with my wife, my kids about, you know, the history and uh, my wife loved the beach, uh, like the Seychelles in, in Sardinia. So, uh, you know, Tulia, I just want to say thanks for coming on the podcast. You've shared so much information. It's stuff that I would never be able to find elsewhere. You know, you see these, these places, you think, oh, what's, what's there? And you never spend the time to look into it, but you know, just hearing you describe is just, it's uh, its inspiring to, to plan a trip to Italy. Thank you. Well, I hope that you do come with your family and um, I'll make sure to, to give you all the best insights. <laughs> I know many good restaurants. <laughs> I love food. <laughs> Unfortunately for my kids, they like pizza. I guess pizza, they like pizza. Well, I, like I, can, I was going to say I chicken nuggets. I can point you to a lot of great pizzerias too. But when they come here... I can guarantee you they'll try a lot of other stuff too. Yeah, we were there a few years ago and they all fell in love with gelato. And so every day, like as soon as they'd see a gelato shop, they'd just be pulling our hands there and uh, they just had so much fun. We're very regional and very proud of our different regions, which are equivalent to your states. And uh, each region has its own food and wine traditions, and uh, we don't like to mix them. So if you're from the south, uh, you wouldn't have uh, 
uh, pesto sauce or bolognese, <laughs> uh, just because that's something that is from the north or from Emilia-Romagna. You know, so each region uh, deserves a time of its own and to try all the specialties. You know, it's almost lunchtime here. I'm getting hungry just thinking of all this. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes for some of these trips you talked about, because otherwise I don't think, you know, people would never even know, you know, how to find these trips. And so um, with that, I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode. Uh, we'll be back next week to explore the world and hear more epic adventures on the 10 Adventures podcast. Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10 adventures. 